Hello and welcome to CoachCast by England Football Learning, the coaching podcast designed to give you expert insight, session ideas and a platform to discuss your coaching questions and challenges. I'm Jamie. And I'm Louise. In each episode of this season, one of our experts will dissect a specific topic and then speak to a grassroots coach with the aim of helping them and you provide players with inspirational opportunities. Hi everyone and thanks for tuning in to CoachCast. In this episode, we're focusing on the STEP framework and how it can help create a better experience for your players. Paul Holder is our expert today and he's with us in the studio now. Hi Paul, welcome to the show. Morning. Hi Paul, thanks for your time today. Before we start, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your role at the FA? So currently I work in the professional game team. We have certain clubs that we go and uh, help coaches to become better at what they do, dealing with young players. I've worked at the FA before and crossed across grassroots, the women's game, the women and girls game and professional clubs. So I've got quite a wide experience of different forms of coaching and, and the players in it. That's great. First of all, can you get us started by explaining what the STEP framework is? The STEP process is about a management tool for coaches that enables players and groups of players to get the most out of their practices and games. It's as simple as that. It's, it's based on PE teaching, but it, it's easily usable in, in coaching, whether you coach, coach players once a week or you coach them seven days a week. It's a great process and a great framework to follow. And it's very simple. Step, the S is about the space. So where is this activity happening? Is it on a big pitch? Is it on a small pitch? Is it on a wide pitch? Is it on a narrow pitch? T is about what is happening in that practice. So this is about changing the demands in the practice, the task. What are you asking players to do? The rules, the number of times you repeat something, that is about the t- changing the task for the players. The E is about what is being used, the equipment. So are you using big goals? Are you not using goals? Are you using cones? Are you using corner flags? What size ball have you got? What's the weight of that ball? Are you using a futsal ball? Are you, what's the shape of the goal? And of course the size, as I said before. Are you using mannequins? Now why the question of with coaches is, yes, there might all be available or none available. But what are you using them for? Why would you want to, say, for example, use a small goal rather than a big goal? Is there a reason or is it just because that's all you've got? And in many cases, it's true. The equipment is given to you according to you may be renting out an AstroTurf pitch. You might only have one goal. So the E is for equipment. The P is who is involved, and that's about the players. What's the number of players? Are you doing a practice or game where... There's only two players on the pitch and you've got loads of these games like 2v2s going on or is it a big 11v11 game? Is it a 3v2 or 7v5? How do you deploy your players and and manage the numbers? So the step really is that simple. What's the space? What's the task? What's the equipment? And who is involved? What are the players? And if you manage those four things and you have reasons why you manage those four things, then the children and the players will have a better experience in practice and will learn. And why would you say that step is important? I think step's important because all players are different. They all have different capabilities. 
So if, for example, you have players who struggle physically, then you might consider reducing the area size. If you've got players that struggle technically, in other words, they, they really do struggle in small areas, then make the area bigger. And what you do is you, you look and see what are the capabilities of the players and is there anything I can change or modify that will help these players do what I want them to do. What can STEP help you achieve? Well, it's more about what the players can achieve, what the children can achieve, rather than what the coach wants to achieve. And, and the thing is, in all practices, you want to try and make as many things possible as you can. So the more rules you put on a practice and the more you restrict the players with area size or the rules, that sometimes cuts out possibilities. So first of all is to try and keep as many possibilities open as they can for the players. That's why I like the idea of maintaining this idea that there's varied skills going on all the time. So it depends on what you want to achieve with, with, with the players. If, for example, you want players to play more forward passes or move forward, then make the area size narrower so they can't go wide. If you want them to spread out across the pitch and then change direction from side to side, then make the pitch wider rather than longer. If you want them to change direction and think about that with the ball, then have four goals, a four goal game. If you want them to do more wall passes, you might consider putting some practices down the side of, of the game off the pitch so that they become target players for people to rebound the ball off. If you want them to practice scoring low into the corner of a goal and you're indoors, use a bench. If you're outside and you haven't got that ability, then you might want to tie bibs to the back of the net as a guide to say if you score below these bibs, then it counts double. So the idea is know what you want and what motivates the players and don't put anything in the way that might stop that or restrict it. Other than repetition then, what are the other key things that you could use step four? Well, the, the, the other thing is, is, is about organising organizing players on the pitch. So what you can do is use the step process to manage the difference in your team. And, I, and I, I'll tell you how that could work. So I've done practices before where I've got the best dribblers and there's only four of them against seven of the other team. The reason is, is, is I did that is, is I want the four to go up against more than one person at any one time because they're good dribblers. So if you can think a little bit about what's going to motivate, what's, where's the challenge for these kids? Where's the competition? How can I make it really competitive? And changing the numbers can make a big difference. So the, the lad or the, or, or, or the girl who's, who's struggling doesn't want to be exposed and let the team down. So give her or him more players to play with. They can be on the seven. And, they, and, and if they want to, they can get lost in that seven and not feel as though they're exposed. The ones who are really good might want to show their skills off. Well, we'll expose you then. So the idea is to look at each individual and not worry about being symmetrical. Oh, we've got to have 3v3 there and 4v4 there and 5v5 there. And you haven't. So experiment with the numbers. And it doesn't look proper as you would see it. It looks odd 
7v3, how does that work? But it works. And that leads you to managing difference generally. Sometimes you, you, what you have to do is to think, well, if I'm going to change this, who's, who does it affect? And who do I want it to affect? So if I plan a big area and decide to double the area size, what's the impact of that? What's the impact on that little dot that can't, you know, really can't get around the pitch? But then you, sh you make it small and you go, well, what's the impact on the one that wants to push and run it? So you, d you can deal with a repetition of the focus. You can deal with planning and organising player numbers. And I suggest that coaches really focus on that because that change in the numbers can have huge effects. And that leads you to generally managing difference. When using the step framework, what things do you need to consider? So what I would consider is the age and stage of the players, the motivations. Why are they there? You know, if... if for example, the players are there because they want to be with their friends and they really want to go home thinking they're playing football, then don't put too many restrictions on what you're doing and play the game, get as close to the game as you possibly can. And that there's, there's two rules here. Make the practices and the games re realistic and make them relevant. If you make them relevant to the age of the stage and abilities of the players, now this is the hard bit, and they're realistic. In other words, they're as close to the game as possible and what the, the game they play on a Sunday looks like, then, then you're, you've got a great starting point. So when you're using uh, sort of like thinking about pitches, pitch sizes, the equipment you use, keep things really simple. Lay out the pitch, put two goals at one end and think about the numbers of the players on the pitch and the task. If you started with that and not worry about the area size and worry about changing anything, no less stage management, you, you'll be doing the kids a great service. What we try to do is overcomplicate things by changing everything, you know, and we don't need to. And I've done many practices where I've laid the cones out at the beginning, put the goals on the end, and then just kept changing tasks and the numbers on the pitch. And that's worked. And I think that would be a great sort of uh, starting point to using the step. Don't use the whole of the step process all the time. So you mentioned the age and stage of players, but is it more beneficial for specific age groups or should coaches just use it no matter who they're coaching and at what level they're coaching? It's not related to ability and it's not related to um, age. What it's related, what you do is, is, is how you use it. But what you've got to consider is the age and stage of the players and more importantly, their motivations. Some people use inappropriate area sizes, inappropriate numbers of players, inappropriate tasks for players that are not ready. It's all about readiness. So 11 v 11 for under sevens might not be the best thing, although they might have great fun with it and it might be a one-off and it's in, but it's not necessarily the great, great model for them. What I do find though is when you're working with teenagers is don't start restricting the rules. Be careful on the task because they're more, you've got to, you want to enhance creativity. And what we see is sometimes when, when they get into teenage years, there's more rules and more things probably to do with wanting to be more tactical there's more rules being imposed on these these kids. They stop exploring and discovering when they need to. So I think you can, with the step process, actually stop 
pro, natural processes and learning in the kids as well as you can enhance it. You're more likely to stop it than enhance it because if you just play the game, they'll learn anyway. So it's just about sort of being careful of what you stop, not what you start. That's a really good point. How do you know when it's the right time in your session to use step? I think you use it all the time. I don't think there's a right time. When you when you set out a practice, when you first go and, and, and the kids arrive, you're going to lay out an area size. So you're already doing that. Task and changing player numbers is what you are more likely to change as the practice goes on. What you've got to be looking for is the challenge point. Is it too hard? Is it too easy? And then having clear things about when you know that a practice is too hard or too easy. So you have to keep looking at things and saying, well, if I do this, what's going to happen? What am I stopping and what am I starting? So nothing is fixed when you're using the step pressing. Nothing. There's nothing on the pitch that's fixed. So you could change it any time. You could take a goal away. You could change the players. You could change the task and everything. So the key is, is using the step process to keep the challenge at the right point. If you have stepped back, kind of observed what's going on, and you know that there needs to be a change, how do you know what part of step that you need to use to make that change? I think coaches would benefit from thinking about things that if they're looking at, sometimes looking at a practice, oh, I think I need to change it. First of all, can you make it more fun? Is there an igniter? Is there a sort of something you can put in that would really liven this thing up? Sometimes change the task to put fun in the practice. I'll give you some examples. Like if the ball goes out of play down the side, then whoever gets it, gets it. In other words, just go and get the ball. And if you're even if you've kicked it off, go and get it. Because if you're first, you can have it back. Now that rule keeps the game competitive whether the ball's on the pitch or not. So... I do things like um, I give a player a bib and if that player scores, it, it counts double. But that bib, once you've scored, has got to go to someone else. And what that does is sometimes gives the player who is less confident, go on, oh. and all the players work towards helping this person score a goal because it counts double. So there are little things you can do which changes the dynamics in a practice and changes the environment in the practice and the energy in the practice. You don't necessarily have to have these things, you know, all right, I'm going to change this to really serious things. Be playful with the practice because step is about being playful as well. Now, playful, you think, well, what's that? You know, like, but being playful in a practice doesn't necessarily mean that, for example, the goals, how many times do you see the goals sometimes moved on the diagonal. That's being playful so that there's different challenges. So you can be playful and it doesn't distract from the game if it's directional, if it's opposed, if there's varied skills going on and there's a way of scoring, hopefully with goals, then you can make these changes and the kids still would be picking up and learning the essential parts of the game. How do you know if you've got something wrong? Kids will tell you some way. Normally, a child will show you his emotions or her emotions in everything they do. You should be able to sense when it's not quite right, either for an individual or for a group. Suddenly, there'll be more injuries. Kids will go down. 
whether they're injured or not, they will. There's a lot of emotions come. I've had enough of this. I'm going to do anything I can to stop this. They might start talking to each other when they didn't before. So look for the ones who disappear, go on the edge of practices. These are individuals, ones who's passing or, or their performance is not quite what it was before. You know, start to be distracted. All this sort of stuff. Even teenagers do this, or sometimes teenagers will start going into the physical and running around like mad things, heavier challenges and things like this, clear indications that something isn't quite right. And then how do you know when things are going well? Well, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of competition. You can you can almost smell the competition. It's going. It's, it's You can feel it because the kids will bring back energy. You should be as a coach. That's where you should be observing everyone. You know, like... Are they motivated? Are they still motivated? Are they full of energy? Are they getting puffed out or are they not bothering? All these things. Why is it not got competitive? Why is it uncompetitive? Oh, well, I'll put him or her on this side. Change the dynamics. I think you've got to be on. You've got to be sensitive to what's going on on the pitch all the time, and that means. And this lends itself to. You may not talk so much. You might just be observing. Lots of observations. The best coaches I've ever seen use the step process don't talk a lot. They watch and observe. Yeah, I need to change this. Right, we need to do this. And they're forever managing the changes to keep that challenge point up. And one of the key elements for coaches is, is, is all time is, is take yourself back to when you were a child. You know, just try and tap into that kid that's playing. What would you be like there? And if you can do that, think you've got a real chance of um, changing the practice and amending what you're doing to suit whoever's in front of you. Yeah, I think that's really handy, especially when it might be like your first time coaching a team, just to stand and watch a little bit and take that stuff on. Could you give us an example of a session and explain how and why you can adapt it using step? Think of the simplest thing possible, which is you've got eight players and you've got a small a pitch, two goals, one at each end and a halfway line. We could could play 2v2 in one half and 2v2 in another. You could restrict where they go. You could say one team play with a goalkeeper and play 5v3, one team without. You could put players down the side. So you're playing 3v3 in the middle with players, two players, one on each sideline that you could bounce the ball off. There is endless possibilities that you could do in just with eight players. You could say if you score, and if you score, and it's an old PE trick this, if you score, all your team's got to be over the halfway line. Otherwise it doesn't count. And you could say to the defending team, all your defenders, if there's any defender left in that half, it counts double. So it gets players to move up and down the pitch. So you can be imaginative with a small pitch and a, uh, and the, those number of players. What if you put the, the goals, if the pitch was oblong, and now the pitch is long and narrow and you put the goals at either end, that's fine. So you're, there's not much space down the sides. And then you move the goals, if they're little goals, and you move them the other way around. So the pitch is now wide and short. Changes the game completely. 
And you could do that in no time at all. So rather than think of sessions in which you use, think of tasks and things on the simplest level. I've got eight players. What's possible? What's possible? And how can I ignite this practice to make it interesting? Yeah, and what I'm doing is playing around with numbers and tasks, not so much about area sizes and things like that. If, you, if you've got a goalkeeper, great. If you haven't, you haven't. It doesn't stop you setting up tasks and stuff in which it's competitive, as, as I said before. You can score in an empty goal. Maybe you have to get over a line before you score in this empty goal. That might be something that you do. So you're forever thinking about these things. Is it competitive? Is it opposed? Is it directional? Are there varied skills going on? And then just be playful with it and let them get on with it. I think it's important coaches learn to manage sort of small groups. So instead of you've got 16 players and we play 8v8, well, why don't you divide that up into two 4v4s? Yes? So you can, and it'd be good if coaches be confident in managing two practices. They don't have to look alike. You could have a 4v4 on one pitch and a 5v3 on another. It doesn't have to be symmetrical. They don't have to be the same size. You could have, you don't have to have four goals. Providing directional, opposed, lots of varied skills and a scoring system which resembles the game, it will flow, it will function. And then your job is to manage the competition. When you use step, does it apply to the whole group or can you use it to help individuals? You can target individuals or you can target whole groups. Likely it is you can do both at the same time. So I'll give you an example, which I, I quite like, is that we use, say, and this is normally with teenagers, and I don't necessarily think it's a great rule, it's two touches, yes? Well, I said to a coach the other, the, the other week, I said, does that apply to everyone? Or are you going to put that player over there on two touches, yes? And then keep moving that task from player to player. So then not everyone's on two touch, but he is or she is. Do you see what I mean? So you can manipulate the task and the numbers to match the individuals again. All you're doing is managing difference, pretty, and, and you're igniting it for some individuals. So what we're saying here is if you're dealing with individuals, what is it you want a, this individual to experience? You know, and, and think about goalkeepers as well. You know, how you build goalkeepers into this, this process. What are you giving them to do? You know, are you thinking about them saying, right, well, they're, you know, they're, in, they're part of the team. So it's not all to do with outfield players. Sometimes you can give the goalkeeper a particular task that you haven't, you're not considering for outfield players. So then we look at the difference between those two ends of the spectrum is the strivers that are, more, that are really ahead of everyone else. What tasks are we giving them to keep it alive for them? You know, and, and the common thing is I'll go and play up an age group. It might work, but you can be more agitative than that. And then the struggler is why are they struggling? might be that they don't really want to be there <laughs> that day. That's why you get to know. You need to know the players in order to affect them. Sometimes they, 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 they might be struggling physically. So you have to give them something which isn't going to expose that if you see what i mean you have to give them something in the game there are strategies for that but you've got to identify it in the first place and then there's a group in the middle 
the ones that are just coasting along. They need some igniters as well. They need a, they need some rockets and you know like sort of sparklers that will light their 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 practice up. Likely it is that most coaches at grassroots professional level deal deal okay with the group, but they're not so knowledgeable about dealing with the individual and how you can set a task to certain individuals, but not necessarily anyone else. Do you feel step is misunderstood or overcomplicated at all? I think if you didn't call it a framework and a process and you just buried it in coaching, I think you, you might not see it as something, oh, I've got, I've got to try the step processes. Well, you do it all the time. That is what setting up coaching and coaching is all about. It's not something that people should lose sleep over. And, and, it, it, and it's not complicated, but it is about thinking at, at the simplest level have you, the kids got enough space to play? Understanding what, why the kids are there. What do they want to achieve? They want to go home and play in the game. All these things about understanding the kids. Then understanding that you've got these tools in your, in your toolbox that you could use that will meet their needs. That's all it is. Great. Well, that's been a really good insight into STEP and the principle. So finally, do you have any further top tips for coaches who are new to the STEP framework and want to start using it? If you're talking about coaches that are new to coaching, yeah, then think about the STEP process as helping you c communicate with your players. You don't need to change a lot of things. I think I said it before, is if you focus on the task that you're giving them and the numbers in the practice, that's a good start point. You have to build that confidence up and that experience. It's not easy at the beginning, but someone said to me once, just change just change the instruction and, and the rules that you're giving them. Just start with that point. I think that was a really great bit of advice. Then you can see the difference and, you go, oh, okay, and then you start building your confidence. From, so that's the advice I would give coaches. But you really do need to look at the effect of the, the, the conditions and the rules and whatever you put on on players, on individuals, you know, does it affect everyone? Who's it, who does it benefit more than anyone? What you want to do is is keep the possibilities as open as as many possibilities open for as long as possible. Now, this is the part of the show where we chat to a grassroots coach to hear about their experiences so far and find out what coaching challenge they are currently facing. Earlier this week, we did exactly that. So let's hear how it went and what advice Paul gave. Today, we're joined by Kate, who's a coach from Burton Joyce in Nottingham. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your coaching journey so far? Hi, yeah. Uh, my name's Kate. I am um, a mum of three boys uh, and um, it's my middle child who's particularly... Um, excited and into football and has been for, for a long time um so when he was uh, about five we joined the um local mini greens um under six football team uh, coaching team and i and i started helping out coaching and and um helping them support them mostly coordination at first and then was kind of teased onto the onto the pitch pitches to support and then um when my child got to under seven, under eights, I uh, became the manager of his team. We started out in um, August, September. So this is our first season. Uh, so still very new to all of this. Definitely new to the coaching side, not so much the um, 
management of children, <laughs> definitely uh, the coaching side uh, for, for, for football. Lovely. Okay, do you want to tell us about your coaching challenge that you're currently facing? One of the things that I have found more of a challenge than I had anticipated is game management itself and getting the kids prepared for that and finding the right coaching sessions or things to practice or play in a session to get us ready to be active in the game on a Saturday. And then that's kind of me reflecting on how my sessions are setting the boys up for success with that. So probably twofold questions, really. One, um, how I can uh, use coaching time in the week to get the guys more and prepared to be active in the game rather than kind of watch the game happen and how to set up the team so that I'm balancing playing my stronger players with giving fair play time across all of the players so everybody gets more game time um, and that's been something that I've I've struggled with more um, not from any pressure I've got such a great set of parents it's not from pressure with them but more of how do we mature the team how old is this team under eight. So the game management thing, I heard you say that, you know, you want to try and prepare them better for activity during the game. Yeah. yeah? Would I be right in saying that the kids, like, they don't move unless the ball's near to them? Yeah, or a lot of um, a lot of needing to be told, like, the ball's still in play. <laughs> and it's about using training sessions to almost reenact that reality because you can talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Theory is getting the um, theory into the game, really. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because the training is, if you looked at training and said, well, actually, it's a rehearsal for the game. Yeah. My question would be, how 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 close, I'm going to ask you, is your are your practices to the game and the demands of the game? So are they directional? Is there goals? Are there... Uh, stop starts ball goes out of play and restarts again it's like an absolute dress rehearsal for the game and then you can see it during the week whether anything what's missing and then you can remind kids about you know like ball still in play ball still in play and actually if you say that and you're still saying it on a sunday they'll get the message if you see what i mean i think that's quite an important point I think that is interesting. I think at the minute, the way I structure my sessions is I'll have like 15 minutes of ball at feet time. So they're moving around and then we'll focus on something. So a lot of the players that we're playing with, it's their first real season of football. So a lot of the time I'm trying to cut off technical stuff like this is what throwing is or this is what we mean by the defender. You you have to do that. But my point is what we tend to do is we structure sessions where you'll do that at the beginning and then you'll build the session up and then you'll have a game at the end. Have you ever thought of starting with a game? As soon as they arrive, you go into a matched-up game, a match, and it counts. And you keep the score and you do that. And, and actually then you go to do the technical, any technical stuff about this as a throw. This is, you can do that in the middle and then go back to the game at the end. You know, this it's a bit like whole part whole. You start with a game. I now coach, you know, like different ages, and I've coached different ages. Without a doubt, I always start with a game. Yeah, because the kids then, you can see the ones who uh, are ready, the ones who are switched off. They may have come from school, had a bad day. You, you They get everything out of their system in that first thing. 
you know, I think that's sometimes a really strong way of starting. It's easy for you then because you can see the mood of the kids. You can yeah. see the numbers you've got. Anyone who turns up late or, or comes off the bus can just get integrated in the game. It doesn't matter what you play, five aside, six against five, five against nine, whatever it is. It can also put the best players. You can play around with it because sometimes we go, oh, it's got to be five aside. Or it's like, well, actually, the best players can have less players on them with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, I've often put, you know, like the best three players I've had against seven, seven v three in a game. And the, the, the best players go, yeah, bring it on. Do you feel comfortable calling that out? Um, because I never want to make anybody feel not sufficient. What, calling out that someone's the best player? Yeah, or like, you know. Um, no, no, or- no, I understand that. I, I get that. No, you, you don't. What you don't, because that implies that someone is the worst player. Yeah. If you see what I mean, you know. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. You don't need to. But what if you if you ask if you ask your kids and and, and you say and go, who's the best player? They'll they'll know. They'll know who the best player is. Yes. Not to say who the worst player is, but I think you can manage that. And you've got yeah. to. By the way, you've got to know the kids inside out to do yeah. that successfully. You've got some trust and dialogue with them. You can mess around with it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you start with a game, you get kids on a really, they get their energies going. They can start reminding them about being active. And there are some rules you can put in these games. Like you could do, if you divide the pitch into half, just say you're playing a five aside. Mm-hmm. And, and you say, if you score and any of your players are in your own half, it doesn't count. In other words, they have to run backwards and forwards. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. you can think of really nice rules which make them run, whether they've got the ball or not. Uh, a nice rule is is that if the ball goes out of play, the first person to get the ball wins it. In other words, run after it. Even if you've just kicked it out, go and get it back. So you can have little subtle things which make it fun for the kids. I do this with older ones. Like uh, I say, if the ball goes out of play... It's nobody's ball. It's whoever gets it first, yeah? And then you see these kids running after it rather than you do it. And then you say, all right, play on. So the competition for the ball happens when the ball's out of play. And then you can – I know people go, oh, no, no, it's just a throw-in. It's a throw-in, you know, and so on and so on. But that stops, switches people off the competition, yeah. Elliot. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And the other thing is, is keep the score. In mm-hmm. that if you start game – you keep the score and make sure that you know that you're keeping so it's competitive. Now, I suppose, like, you might say that that is a bit over the top or, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want someone to lose or I don't want to be disappointed about losing, but they'd be fine with it because they, they, they need to see that this game, your perception of the game, you want them to play football and this is what football looks like the moment you come in the building. It's so, sometimes I see practices which is so far away from the game when the kids arrive is they actually connect with the game after about 45 minutes. Mm. And they need to connect with the game the moment they arrive. So it's almost like as soon as you come in, uh, get yourself in teams, yeah, and just join the game when you come in. It doesn't matter how many on each side, to be honest. It doesn't even matter about being even. What matters is it looks like football and it's competitive and there's goal scoring. And stopping goals, by the way. And the other thing, if you've got goalkeepers, they can be goalkeepers straight away. They're automatically, the goalkeeper, go oh, on, I'm a goalie, I've got my gloves and 
you may or may not have goalkeepers, but I sometimes see the practices where people are dribbling around with the ball at their feet. And I'm saying, well, he wants to be a goalie or she wants to be a goalie. When are they going to be goalkeepers? Yeah. Um, interesting you talk about what, how many kids inside, because that was one of my other questions is, um, we go to seven aside next year. And I was thinking, you know, mm. at the minute, most of my um, time on a Saturday is spent like thinking like who's been on, who hasn't been on, here's my list of players who's going on. And I'm going to have a bit more freedom next year because the team size is staying the same. Um, and I just, is there, is, is there kind of a, a is there a plan or a good way to approach moving from five aside to seven aside and getting the boys used to having more players on the pitch? Well, what you're saying is two more players, one ball between 14 instead of one ball between 10. The likelihood is they're going to have less touches you know, and be distant from the game. So actually, if that's the format you're playing, it's absolutely important that each kid is exposed to that format as often as possible. I've got this thing about every kid, full game every week. Yeah, that's my amb- that would be ambitious. But how could I make that happen? I don't think coaches, and I know you, are you in a league? Well, it's like a development league. I don't know how long the, the period is you play on a Sunday. I often see that coaches don't talk to each other of how they can all incorporate. They can use the the period that they've got to play to make it more beneficial for the kids and say, instead of us playing for an hour, let's play for an hour and a half. So like start 15, because generally most teams will have half an hour warm-up time. But if we actually, like you're saying, do the kids need it? If you had like warm-up time and then add a 15 minutes at the end of the game for just seven aside. Yeah, that's really exactly. And then, and then, what you could do is, is, is say, right, I'm going to, I don't know, wherever it is in Nottingham. Uh, we're going to play seven. We're going to play seven aside. But this is the period that these kids are need to be active. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if we try and corral that period, or we shorten that period because we want to put in these things like warm up times and cool down times and things like that, and also the breaks. Yeah. Well, actually, while the kids are having a break, they're not playing. So why? Why can't you just keep rolling subs in and out later on? In other words, kids come off, go on, you know, and you come and they go, come up, have their little break, come back in. Yeah. You know, and so I think you can you can really look hard at the regulations uh, within the rules, obviously, but you could negotiate with the opposing coach to say, listen, we both want to give every kid that's turned up today, want to try and aim for give them at least an hour's football, yeah, if we can. How are we going to do that? Even I've seen this done before, and forgive me for, you know, talking a lot, but this is, I'm, I'm quite enthusiastic about this, is that I saw this group and he had, he, he had something like 15 players and was playing seven aside. He said, okay, you're going to play the first game, seven aside. That lasted 45 minutes nonstop. Kids played, they went off. Next team came on and played for 45 minutes. Every kid played 45 minutes of intense football. Kids were not absolutely delighted. Our parents have been really good. They've all dropped a game a month so that I can give... So they so the kids will oh, turn, okay. turn up to four, three out of four games. So that means that uh, they've got more game time because, like I said, they've got particularly the less experienced players and it's about managing that with it and that's what I find... Well, um, this is very difficult and I know I know the realities because I've done it myself and I've obviously seen coaches working in the, in this dynamic and then what you're saying is is look they play three out of the four months so they're playing three yeah. quarters of what they could do 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. So what I'm saying is, there must be a better way. Yeah. Where so now you, you what you're doing is making it happen, and that's better. That's a great. That, that in some respects that might work. But the other thing you can think about is is um, is is there any is there an alternative? You know, I'm not saying I'm not saying I've got all the answers, but I always think here's the ambition. Every kid plays a whole game every week. Come on, yeah. let's get our heads around. This. Yeah, let's really get our heads around it. And and I'll bet you you'll come up with a a way of this happening. The other thing is, is if you don't mind me saying, is um, if you make training as close to the game and competitive and thing during the week, yes, you will tick a big box for these kids who may not be playing on that if you are doing yeah. that. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So the more you re- you make it game-related during the week, you will satisfy to a, to an extent that competitive. So they would have thought, this week I have actually played football. It just wasn't yeah. on Sunday. It helps with parents because the kids go home and go, oh, yeah, yeah, we played football tonight. Not we trained. Sometimes I find when yeah. I'm particularly trying to cover more technical stuff, um, it's harder to maintain everybody's interest. And, you know, like I say, not, not um, you've got some players who are like, oh, I already know this, and other players who are, you know, kicking the ball against defence and constantly getting them back in. My biggest tip would be focus on one thing yeah, at a time and focus on putting game-related practices on that are close to the game as possible and having one focus for everybody. Yeah. Yeah? In one game. One focus, one game. And then what we tend to do is look for technical things and loads of different technical things. So you could say, all right, today I'm I'm looking at how you can – we want to get into get forward as quickly as possible, whatever it is, yes? That's all I'm looking for. That's all I want from you today. And then put them into games, get them confident about having a go. Yeah. I'm gonna look at your I'm gonna look at your dribbling skills tonight. But here's a game, yeah. Get over that line or do whatever it is, and I'm gonna be watching and trying to help you with that. And then if you want to do a bit of practice on dribbling, you can do it in the middle. And then go yeah. back to the game at the end. That's what whole part whole is. Start with a game, do a practice in the middle, and then go back to the game. What you're describing is an absolute common thing, is trying to put how am I going to manage the time that I've got with the numbers, and I want to get this across. But I think what coaches do is try to get a lot across and forget that actually what I want them to do is to understand the game, play the game. And have one single focus that I'm going to think about today. I think um, almost gives you freedom as well to keep it simple, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's one your safety net, Kate. There is a safety net always, and do you know what it is? If you run out of ideas and you put a goal at each end with a halfway line and divide the kids up and put a ball <laughs> in the middle. You wouldn't be far. You wouldn't be going far wrong. No. Right? So it's that idea of make it directional, make it competitive, put goals in where they can score, keep the score, make people celebrate, get disappointed if they let goals in. All those emotions that happen on a Sunday, you can replicate during the week. But if yeah. you're doing set practices where those things are not apparent, they're not practicing that. So you've got to make a decision of. If you want it on a Sunday, we'd better rehearse it during the week. Yeah. Kate, how was that advice for you? 
that's been really helpful. It's, it's nice just to verbalise some of this stuff as well. Brilliant, Kate. Well, hopefully you can take that advice on board uh, and, and to your next uh, training session and hopefully improve things. But do keep in touch and let us know how it goes. But hopefully today's been useful for you. It's been really useful. It's, like I say, it's been nice to verbalise some stuff. So thank you so much. Thank you. We're coming up to the end of the episode now, which means it's Swift Session Time. This is where we challenge our guests to come up with a session idea that relates to the theme of the episode. Today, we're looking for a session idea with step in mind. You just need to make sure that it's fun, engaging and can be quick for coaches to set up. It can involve any number of activities, but you'll only have 30 seconds to explain your ideas. Are you up for the task? Yep. Okay. Let me put 30 seconds on the clock. Time starts now. Right, play a game with a a big goal at one end and a small goal and a zone to score in at the other end. Four players attack the big goal and their focus is on shooting. They've got five minutes. And then the other team who work with the goalkeeper have to keep possession to get into the other end zone and scoring into an empty goal. Then change the teams round. So the other team then is focusing on shooting and the team that were shooting is now focusing on keeping the ball and working it into this end zone. Works a treat. Perfect. <laughs> Love it. He's it's off. almost like dropped his mic and walking off now. <laughs> yeah, did you manage to get everything in that you wanted to? Yeah, I think so. Good. So before we finish the show, do you have any last key messages for coaches to take away? Yeah, I think it's really important that coaches learn and hone their observation skills more than passing information and and talking. And I think finally, it's really important that you use the step process and keep things playful and keep things fun and exciting for the players. So if, if you're doing anything that stops it being fun and enjoyable, then you have to think carefully about that. That's great, Paul. Thank you very much for joining us on CoachCast today and telling us all about Step Framework. Pleasure. Right, that's all we have time for today. But if you want to find out more about what we've discussed in this episode, head over to thebootroom.thefa.com and check out how to challenge all the players in your coaching session. You can also visit the FA community to jump into a coaching conversation about Step or read How to Adapt Target Games to Benefit Your Players. Here, Bex Garlic goes into detail about how you can use Step to manage difference when playing target games. And if you want to keep in touch with all of our content, make sure you hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel, England Football Learning. And follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at England Learning. We'll be back soon with another episode of CoachCast, so keep an eye on our social media channels and wherever you get your podcasts from. From all of us at England Football Learning, thanks for listening.